I mentioned to you in the welcome, I just want to remind you again, if, if you haven't yet, uh, just to kind of prepare you, because uh, I do, I want to see you all participate with this, because it's something, if you've watched online, if you've been with us, even at least a Sunday this month of January, is, um, is for you to have those, those three names ready to present um, and just have on a piece of paper. And just at the end, part of our response time uh, eventually is going to be an opportunity for you guys to be able to get up and to place those um, just as a... As a uh, as, as just a, a presentation to the Lord of just we're offering these and just asking you to be a part of that. And, and part of why we're doing that is is in the end, we, we want to be a part of, of what God designed and, and asked us to be a part of, of advancing the kingdom and being a part of this mission. And so some of you guys know, I, I know we have one guy in our church, he picks up these little business cars each and every week, kind of refills them, puts them uh, maybe at a, at a restaurant or he puts them just at different places that he's at. And um, you'll notice that it has kind of our information on the front of, of who we are and just our information. But on the back, it just has these, these three little statements of love God, uh, love people and proclaim Christ. And the reason why we chose those is not just because. Uh, we chose those because we have a desire to want to be obedient uh, to the great commandment that you find in Matthew chapter 22, which when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, it's to love God. This is my paraphrase with everything you got. And then the second uh, is like it, but it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's where we get love God, love people. But then we, we know there's the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28 where we're to go and make disciples. But Jesus commissioned uh, us as his followers, not just in Matthew 28, but at the end of the Gospel of Mark and the end of Gospel of Luke and in John chapter 20 and even Acts chapter 1, that he's called us to go, to be sent, to proclaim Christ. And it's in, in Luke chapter 24 when he says that we're to be proclaiming Christ. And so that's, that's where we get this idea from is that we, we believe that if we desire to fulfill the great commission to make disciples, it's going to be by proclaiming Jesus. And that's only possible, I believe, when we obey the great commandment of loving God and loving people. So a way to put this, if you want to write it down, it won't be on the screen, but if you want to write it down, is when we obey the great commandment, then you are in position to accomplish the great commission. It's If, if we will obey the great commandment, love God, love people, that's central and core to who you are as an individual, then you are in a position to accomplish the great commission. Because otherwise we're going through the routine and well, I'm just doing it because I was told to do it. But if we have a great love for God that he be glorified and he's the only one worthy of anyone's praise, life, or worship, and because we love people, we want to tell them that, then we'll see the Great Commission be fulfilled. And that's why over this last month, I, I believe that at times when we, as, as church leaders, as pastors, you, you, if you've been at church in any amount of time, if you've grown up in church, you've heard a pastor say, you know, go share your faith, uh, go make disciples. That's not hopefully an uncommon thing that you've heard in different churches you've been a part of. But sometimes that can feel very broad of, okay, how do, how do I go about that? And, and for us, there's all kinds of different strategies that, that can be out there, but for us, um, it's just this idea of we just want, kind of wanted to narrow it down, break it down, that hopefully it's a bit memorable of live, work, and play. And, and over the course of the month of January, we've been asking you to identify and think about just three individuals that you live, work, and play with and around in your life, in your arenas of influence, because that's where you are, and, and that's where you can make an impact. 
And, and so we've asked you to think about that over the course of January. And as we enter into the month of February, we, we've realized that if, if our hearts aren't connected to those three, it's one thing to think about it, but it's one thing to care. It's one thing to have your heart attached to these people. And that really begins to develop when we begin to pray for them, when we really have that burden for them. So what we're doing today at the end of our time of presenting these three names, these three individuals that are on your heart and your mind that you've identified, is it's not just to be like, ooh, look at what we're doing. That's not the point. But it's that we would not feel alone, that there's a whole mess of slip of papers up here, and to go, I'm locking arms with my brothers and sisters in Christ at Mission Point, and we want to be a part of accomplishing the Great Commission, but we know it starts here. It starts on our knees, if you will. It starts with our hearts connecting and developing these burdens for these that we care about. And so uh, as, as we do so, we're, we're getting into Acts 15, and there's something so essential with Acts 15 that, that I love that it's that we're at this point in this time where we're about to present these three names um, where we need to be reminded of what is the main thing. Let's not lose sight of the main thing because we can get distracted with a whole bunch of stuff, not just around in this world, but even in ministry, we can get distracted with so many good things that we forget the main thing, the primary. And Acts 15 gets back to that primary. So follow along with me. Look at Acts chapter 15. Uh, Look at verse one. It says, so some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. So when it says they came down, uh, actually they're going from Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem, Judea. So they're actually traveling southward, uh, or excuse me, the, the, these individuals from Judea are actually traveling northward, but it says they're going down because they related their travels by going up in elevation or down in elevation. Jerusalem is higher in elevation. Judea is higher in elevation than Antioch. So they're going down uh, to Antioch. And these, these brethren show up from Judea, and look at what it says. It says, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, underline this, you cannot be saved. That's what they're saying. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the the brethren, the church, determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. If you're taking notes, this just kind of to hopefully kind of break down this chapter because it's lengthy, is this is just the issue at hand. In Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 2, we're seeing what is the issue, what's the problem, what's, what's going on. And it's that there is a group of individuals who come from Jerusalem, Judea, and they seem to hear what's going on in Antioch. And a lot of Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. They're not Jewish. They haven't been circumcised. They're not living according to the laws of Moses. And that's hard for them because that's so essential and core to who they are. And for millennia, that's how they've lived. So they make their way to the church of Antioch and they begin to teach this and it causes a problem. Paul and Barnabas debate with them. They have dissension. They disagree because this is the key issue for them in this passage, but also for us today. The key issue is salvation. The key issue of why we exist is the glory of God and the salvation of mankind. That's the key issue. Let's not get distracted or lose sight of that. Um, the, the key issue is salvation. Another way to pose is, how does one receive salvation? Personalize it to you. Am I saved? Like, how, how do I answer that? How do I know that? What must I do to be saved, as those cried out in Acts chapter 2? What must I do to be saved? So this disagreement occurs because this is such an important issue. 
that disagreement happens, and disagreement does happen, doesn't it? That, that's not unusual. That should be kind of, kind of fairly normal. We all disagree. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, see? see? Uh, and so, but, but it, it, it's something where at times we think that if we disagree, that that's always a problem and that we, we, we hate each other. And, and we can see in our culture in our day that we see people disagreeing all the time, but they aren't handling things well. People are just hating on each other. They're, they're spouting off things on social media or on news networks, and there's no discussion of any kind. Something that is incredibly healthy within the life of, let's just say, the church, is there going to be certain theological issues that are discussed within the life of a church or in a small group setting to where we should be able to discuss these things always. But there might come a moment where maybe there's a certain theological issue where we even kind of debate on some of this, and that's okay. There are going to be some theological issues that we not only discuss or debate, we might actually divide over because of what we believe the Scripture to be teaching. But there's some that we even saw, as I gave the example of Polycarp a few weeks ago, if you were with me, that there's some issues of the faith that I'm not going to debate it, I'm not going to discuss it, I've tried, but I'm willing to die for what I believe. I will not recant Jesus. You can tie me up to a stake, you can burn me, but I will not deny the Christ because he is my Savior. I love it. Polycarp, 86 years I have lived. He has never once denied me. I will not deny him. So we see the debate and the dissension taking place over this key issue. It's a worthwhile discussion. But what do they do about it? Look at verse 3 through 6. It says, therefore, being sent on their way by the church. So the church is behind this. They're supporting this. Paul, Barnabas, and a few of you go into Jerusalem where kind of the leadership of the church is. And so as they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. What I love about this, I'm going to stop for just a moment. What I love about this is they have this really important meeting that they need to talk about where the key issue is what must I do to be saved? What is salvation? But even though they're going to this important meeting, as they are going, they're still proclaiming Christ. Again, we can get distracted with, I, I got this, maybe this event I got to go to. I, I, got, I, got, I got this vacation that I'm planning. I'm doing all these different things. And friend, when you go on vacation, when, when, when you go to work, you're on mission all the time. Like, like it doesn't stop. Like you are on mission. You are representing the Lord in anything and everything that you do. Uh, and, and so as they're going along the way, even though they're ready to do this, they could have easily been distracted. How am I going to present this case? No. Phoenicia, Samaria, to the Gentiles, we're still spreading the good news of Jesus. Verse 4. So when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, stood up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. So, so at this point in time, the church of Jerusalem welcomes Paul and Barnabas and kind of this, this group. But when it's time for the council meeting to take place, uh, what, what they do at this moment is it's the leaders, the, the pastors, the elders, and the apostles who actually are having this meeting to discuss this theological issue of what they're going to do. The church at large is not a part of it, but, but these specific, the, the leaders of the church are, are a part of this. 
Now, there's a lot of, been a lot of different councils throughout uh, the, just the church, church history. Uh, you got the first council of Nicaea and Constantinople and Chalcedon. Interesting things go into it. it, it, it there are so many of these that are wanting to, to just put a stamp on the fact that Jesus is fully God, fully man. Some of these have to do with the Trinity. But this is the first council and, and, and is dealing with the most essential thing of, of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? How does one receive salvation? So this council takes place around 48 AD. If you like dates like me, you like that kind of thing. So this is about 15 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. So about 15 years later, this is where kind of the church is at. And they're having this incredible and important discussion and debate about this key essential uh, issue. And, and when when, the, when at first the discussion and debate began there in Antioch, when the brethren from Judea came, came down to Antioch to, to say that unless you're circumcised, you're not saved, you might notice that back in, in verse 2, just look in your own scripture, they said that they can't be saved unless they're, unless they're circumcised. But if you look at verse 5, your copy of scripture there on your lap, notice what happens at this point. The, the Pharisees, and these, these are Pharisees who are of that sect, and so we know who the Pharisees are, but these are Pharisees who believe in Jesus. They're Christians. They're followers of Jesus, but they still have their history of, of what they know, and, and they're proud of that culture and, and proud of the law of Moses, and it's something that's been so kind of connected to them as a people. But they come to this point, and now notice this. This is what legalism will do. Legalism will say, you got to be circumcised to be saved. You need Jesus plus circumcision. And then you get into verse 5, or excuse me, you have verse 5, and it says, it's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. They're building upon, <laughs> okay, okay, we said you just needed to be circumcised. You need Jesus plus circumcision. But really, really, hang on. We didn't get to give our full thought. You need Jesus plus circumcision, plus you need to, to observe or obey the laws of Moses. All, I think it's 613 of them, if I'm, if I'm accurate. It's a lot of laws to obey. We have to be careful as, as followers of Christ that though we may not have grown up um, like the Pharisees did, rooted in Judaism, with, with circumcision and observing the law and the sacrifices. But we have other things that we bring to the table that if we're not careful, we'll distract someone who does not know Christ and say, you need Jesus, but you kind of need to clean up your act. You've you got a mouth like a sailor. Can you, can you stop just cussing for a little while? And then, you know, you'll come to Jesus. If, if you could, if you could, and we throw different things of, we want to talk about baptism before we want to talk about salvation. We want, to, we want to talk about the second coming of Christ before we want to talk about Jesus and his first coming. We want to talk about the rapture. We want to talk about the age of the earth. We want to talk about a great multitude of things. And we get so easily distracted and it's like, you really need to know this before. And it's like, no, no, you just need to know Jesus. Let Jesus get a hold of you and then you'll be transformed from the inside out. Well, one thing that I don't want you to hear as we get into this, I thought of this uh, the other day is you could read this possibly and go, oh, so we don't need to worry about the laws of Moses or anything whatsoever. What we're getting to the heart of in this passage is what is essential for salvation? But we know that Jesus also taught us 
to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. Like, there's still important commandments. It's still good to teach someone, here's what we believe Scripture teaches about baptism. Here's what we believe Scripture teaches about the second coming. Here's what we believe Scripture teaches about human sexuality. Here's what we believe Scripture teaches about marriage. But we don't need to try to change someone from the inside out because that's God's job. And we don't need to get them distracted. Let's just keep pointing them to Jesus and pointing them to Jesus. So when you have those gospel conversations, I know you're going to be nervous that they're going to ask you about the dinosaurs. I know that's one of the most common things. People say, what if they ask me about the dinosaurs, Pastor? I don't know. Just get it back to Jesus. Get it back to the main thing. Be like, that's a great question. Genuinely. Kind of curious myself. But let's get back to Jesus. Who do you believe Jesus is? Don't distract them, but also don't be distracted yourself. Of, of salvation is the key issue that we're wanting to get them to. And then, yeah, we can, we can kind of build upon what it is to obey these commandments and to live a life for the Lord. But let's let the Lord change our life before we ask them to live a life for the Lord that they can't possibly do without the person of the Holy Spirit. So, a little bit of a tangent, not on my notes. Whew, let's go. So, um, so I, I want to show you two, two passages of Scripture because uh, this is something where Jesus dealt with this very issue, I believe, in uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, can you just show that first verse, John 6, 28, up on the screen? So, so look what it says, John 6, 28. Uh, Therefore they said to him, this is the Pharisees, the religious leaders, therefore they said to him, what shall we do? So much about doing, isn't it? We, and we ask that, don't we? And, and people that you've shared your faith with, what do I got to do to be saved? What, what, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God, so that we are a part of God's team, we're a part of God's people, that kind of thing. And then look at Jesus' response in Matthew, or John 6, 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe. It's like, can, can we do something else? That's, what does that look like? That, that feels like, what does that mean, Jesus? Man, that you believe in him whom he has sent, that you believe in Jesus that you believe that what Scripture says about Him, all of Jesus, the incarnation, the, the virgin birth, His perfect life, His, his, his miracles, the supernatural, the, the, the sacrifice that He was, the death that He died upon the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the second coming, that you believe in, in Him, Jesus, whom God has sent. That he, that's, he said, that, that's the work of God. That's how you're a part of God and the things of God and the people of God. Believe in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Don't forget that when you have those gospel conversations. Faith in Jesus. Look at verse 7. So, uh, we've seen the council. They've met. They're gathering together. Now, now here's the truth of the matter. And Peter's about to speak. And this, to me, is my favorite section of this whole section. And so, uh, we'll go quickly. So, after there had been much debate about this issue, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by, the mouth, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows, his, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Verse 11, key verse, but we believe 
that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So, God's making it possible to have the word of the, of the gospel to be spread to the Gentiles that they would believe. Jesus, or excuse me, Peter is kind of recounting his experience in Acts 10 with Cornelius, the first Gentile to, receive, to place faith in Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter is sharing this, reminding the, the elders and the, uh, the pastors and the apostles of this, and, and they're hearing this. And, and what I love is that Peter gets back, he doesn't get distracted, he goes straight to the source of how salvation is possible, God, God. Look at what it says. I'm going to have it highlighted for you. Um, I think they're going to be up on the screen, but the first is in, in verse 8. Do what? Okay, awesome. Use your Bible. So the first thing is, is in verse 8. Look, God who knows the heart. God knows the heart. Underline that in your Bible. God knows the heart. Look, look, look at the next thing in verse 8. God giving them the Holy Spirit. God gives them the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 he made no distinction. God makes no distinction. Continue in verse 9, cleansing their hearts by faith. God cleansed their heart by faith. This is God's work, not man's work, not man's ability. So, so as much as we can put the pressure on us of that one of those three people that you're about to present to the Lord and go, this is, this is my child maybe for some of you, or this is, this is one of my closest friends. I want them to know Jesus, and I'm doing everything I can to like, here's, here's Jesus. You present, you plant the seed, but it's God's work to make it possible. My hope is that it takes a little bit of the pressure off of you because salvation is yours to share and to present, but it's God's to accomplish it's God and God alone who's able to make this possible. He knows the heart. He gives the Holy Spirit. He makes no distinction. He cleanses their hearts by faith. And then Peter basically says, if God is good with this and he's orchestrating this, then who are we possibly to be able to object? And then he adds, just for like bonus points, he says, plus our forefathers, including us, we couldn't keep the law. Why would we expect the Gentiles to have this addition to try to, got to keep the law? and have Jesus, plus Jesus, to, to have salvation. The key thing from this section that I want you to walk away with is a phrase that you've probably heard before, so write it in your margin. Write it in the front of your Bible. It's just a phrase that you've heard before. Salvation is only possible by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. There's no plus and. There's no anything Jesus plus circumcision, plus good works, plus baptism. It's, it's by the grace of God alone, that unmerited favor of God that we can't really wrap our minds around. And that's hard for us, especially in our culture. I've got to do something to get this. I work a job, I receive a wage. I, I sin, and I receive the wage of death. Like I get the idea that I receive by what I do. But this is the grace of God through faith. In Jesus alone, that's the only merit and means of salvation. When you get to visit with that friend of yours, that coworker, that that person that you that you get to play with, maybe your I don't know your tennis buddy or whoever it is. When you get down to just the the truth of the matter, echo the words of Peter from verse eleven. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's it. So. 
from my understanding, at that point, and even going on to the rest of Acts chapter 15, at that point, Peter just like dropped the mic and said, this is the issue solved. This is how salvation is possible. This is what it means to be able to be saved. The, the, the way that I'm using the terminology is this is the entrance into faith. Faith in Jesus is what brings salvation. Now in just a moment, James is going to get up and he's going to speak. And I, I do not believe that he's talking and teaching about what else you need to have to enter the faith but these essential things that you need to demonstrate or show evidence that you are indeed in the faith. So, but before we get there, look at verse 12. This is just a quick note just for hopefully everyday life for us. It says, All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So, dissension, debate, more debate. But what I love is in verse 12, the people kept silent. It reminds me of James chapter 1. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. In your everyday life, not just in the church, but for those of you, your closest of relationships, that husband-wife relationship, that friend relationship, that parent-child relationship, listen. Listen to one another. Keep silent for a little bit of time so you can hear what it is they have to, to, to say because I believe for us as a church, as a group, because we're going to disagree. We're going to have different preferences of opinion, just things that we like more than what someone else might like. It's coming back and say, okay, let's discuss this, let's debate this, but for this to be productive, we've got to listen to each other. And so, husbands, are you listening to your wives? Are you living with them in an understanding manner? Mom, dad, are you doing that with your children, grandchildren? Are you doing that just with your friends and those that you work with and your employees? Are you, are you listening to them for the purpose of, of we, want, we want some kind of understanding or resolution within, within this relationship and within this particular issue? And at this moment, I love that they just, Peter speaks. He's got a bit of that authority. He's got that experience. And they're just, they're just moved by it. Now Paul and Barnabas kind of add their experiences, I believe, of that missionary journey that we just studied. And, and it's just kind of like this is irrefutable evidence of God at work in the life of the Gentiles. How could we possibly try to cause a stir of anything else that they need Jesus plus anything else? And so verse 13, we get to the decision that's going to be delivered by, by James. And then later on, the, uh, the accord, the, the agreement in verses 22 through 29. So I'm going to read for a little bit. Look at verse 13. And they had stopped speaking. So James, this is the half-brother of Jesus, not James that we read about that was killed by Herod a few chapters ago. James, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church, says, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, referring to Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With the words of the prophets, with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it so that, the, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who were called by my name, says the Lord who makes things known from long ago. Therefore, James says, therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but 
that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So this is James' decision. Now listen to how they agree. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. It seems good. They're in agreement. And to choose men from among them to send to Antioch to, with Paul and Barnabas, and they select Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, a name that we'll hear later on, and leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren Antioch and Syria and Cecilia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our member to whom we, have, to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words and unsettling your souls. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by the word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, so God's a part of this, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. He's about to echo what he said in verse 20. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication or sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So what, what, what is it at the heart of this decision and agreement that James, the church, the apostles, the elders agree upon? and have to be sent back to the church of Antioch where this whole issue got stirred up in the first place of what does it mean to be, to be saved? Well, the issue of salvation, as I said before, I think is truly put to rest by Peter back in verse 11. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That issue of salvation is determined. That's entrance into salvation. But what they're discussing here is that there's still this issue of of but how do, how do we kind of recognize as the church that you are a part of the faith? That there's evidence of faith in your life. Again, the issue being dealt with by them is that the essential followers of Jesus should have these essential things, these kind of uh, markers or things that you could see that, that are true about them. And so what happens is, is it really it boils down to two things. And, and, and I'll share how it looks like that. It has to do with idolatry and sexual immorality. Idolatry and sexual immorality. Idolatry is, is what we can see obvious in verse 20 and in verse uh, 29 when it says, abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood and from things strangled. From blood and from things strangled and abstaining from idols are, are really the issue of idolatry in, in one. Because the practice, pagan practice, of where people would go, let's say, to the temple of Zeus or Aphrodite or wherever it was, and they would offer sacrifices, what they would tend to do is, and truly, they're, they're worshiping demons at this point, this demon worship. They're just calling them different names. What they're doing is they would take an animal, and before they would sacrifice the animal, they would strangle that animal to death. And after they strangled the animal to death, they would spill its blood, and they would also drink its blood. And so what James and the apostles and the elders are saying is, anything that's associated with pagan worship, 
or worship that has anything to do with the one true living God, man, abstain from that. Flee from that. You're not a part of that. I mean, one way to put it is this. Remove yourself from the temple of Zeus because you're a follower of God. You worship Him. Don't even be associated with that stuff. The practice of that stuff. It may cause you to be ostracized. It may cause you to be uncomfortable. You may not, but, but, but stay away from it. Abstain from it. In the same way today, if, if I was able to share my faith with someone who was a Buddhist, they came to receive Christ, what I would look at them and say, by the grace of God alone, through faith in Jesus alone, you are saved. But don't go back to the Buddhist temple. Because there should be an evident marker in your life. The evidence of your faith is that I love God and God alone, and my worship is for Him and Him alone. I'm not going back to be associated with that. All things are, <laughs> all things are new. That's old. That's my old lifestyle. That's not a part of who I am. And so even from the get-go, because this pagan idolatrous worship, especially in the Greek world, the Hellenistic world, um, this was such a common practice for everyone, was to go to these temples and participate in these kinds of forms of worship to these idols. They're like, you've you got to stay away from that. We as followers of God, of Jesus, that's not what we're associated with. And so, same would be true for us today and people that we visit with. You, you, you abstain from that. The other is sexual immorality. So not just idolatry, but sexual immorality. And sexual immorality has to do with the, you're not sleeping around, you're not sleeping around with the person that you're not married to. It has to do with uh, premarital sex. It has to do with temple prostitution. It basically is this idea of your, your sexuality and your human sexuality is important to God. We don't have time to deep dive into it, but if you journey from Genesis to the beginning of how God created the male and female to, 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 to even today, the issue of human sexuality, of how God has made the male and female, and the issue of how the first command that God gave us was what was the first command God gave Adam and Eve? Do you know? Do you remember? Be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because you are image bearers of God, and there need to be more image bearers of God because that glorifies God. And you know what is fruitful and multiply? A man and a woman. Married in holy matrimony is how God designed it. It's how God wants it. Because he wants his image to not be marred. He wants it to be beautiful so that people will see a beautiful image and go, I want to follow the true living God. And as it is today, but believe it or not, I believe even more rampant than the issue of human sexuality and all the perversions therein that Satan loves to do with a good gift from God and just twist it and taint it, was going on then as it is today, I believe even more so then, but that's kind of hard for us to kind of fathom right now, if you come to MPA, we'll talk about this a little bit when we go through Leviticus, uh, Mission Point Academy. When we go through Leviticus and do our bird's eye view, we're going to look at how things are progressing exactly as God said of going, just, just come to MPA and you'll, you'll get to hear it. We don't, we don't have time to get into that. But it's so interesting. It's so, it's so interesting of how God just, just knows what is best and what is good in His design. And this is the reason why I bring it all up, because I'm really excited about this. Okay, so I didn't just show you this card for whatever reason. Love God, love people, proclaim Christ. Again, love God, love people came from the great commandment. Love God with everything you got and love people. When I look at these two essentials of not entrance into the faith, but evidence of your faith, that you are a brand new believer in Christ, 
What are my first instructions to you? Stay away from idols. Flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because the great commandment is to love the Lord your God, not Buddha, not that pagan, not yourself, not the sport, not your career, not your job, God, not your family, God. Love the Lord your God. He wants God to be at the central of everything. So no, no idolatry. The other is, there's so much, and again, we don't have time to deep dive into it, but there's so much when it comes to the issue of, and the sin of sexual immorality that so often we stray from because we find it uncomfortable, but it's so essential and necessary that even from the first council of the church in Jerusalem, they're like, this is an issue that we struggle with since the beginning and is continuing on. We really want to love the Lord our God, first commandment, and the second, like it, love people. This is an essential part of it. Love people. And as we fulfill those two great commandments, then we're going to be a part of better accomplishing the Great Commission. And so these, these are the essentials that they share with them. This is what we want you to be a part of. This is what we want you to, to, to focus in on for the new believer in Christ, that these are what you would refrain from, restrain from, abstain from. So this is the response. Look at verse 30. We're almost done. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, the church, they delivered the letter. They, then they read it, and they rejoiced. I love this. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. This was good news to them. They were, they were concerned about this. Am I not saved? Is that what you're telling me? And now they're like, no, 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 no. I don't need to be circumcised. A lot of men just breathe a huge sigh of relief. I don't have to be circumcised. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren, the church there in Antioch, Notice this, underline it, with a lengthy, lengthy message. It's biblical. Uh, after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. He's going he's gonna to stick around, and he's actually going to go with Paul on this missionary journey, the second one. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others, not just them, with many others, the word of the Lord. So this is their response. They rejoice they continue the message and the mission of Jesus. They continue to love God, love people, proclaim Christ. They keep the focus of by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so when you go out, again, I don't want things to be so broad of like, okay, pastor, I get it. Live, work, and play. That's how I'm going to identify these people. I need to pray for them. But I'm hoping that this chapter reminds you of what when I get the opportunity and seize the opportunity that God provides for me to have a gospel conversation, what do I want to, what do I want to be the main thing? And it's by grace through faith in Christ alone. And I don't want to just send you out there of like, well, it's just a clever little statement, but where does it say that? I, I got a few verses of scripture. Are they up here? Ephesians? Ah, all right. Ephesians 2. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You guys know this passage. It's probably familiar to you. But this is just a great passage. Write these down. Put them in your Bible. Put them in your phone. Because these are passages that you could take them to and be like, I'm not just making this up. This is what Scripture is teaching. For by grace you have been saved through faith. I mean, it's just it's there. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Uh, next verse. Uh, not as a result of your works, so that no one may boast. So that first passage has everything to do with saved by the grace of God. That, that keys in that first saying. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's grace alone. The next one is Romans 5. Romans 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, having been justified by, by faith, how are we saved? By grace alone, through 
faith alone we are justified. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace which we, which, in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. That has everything to do with, it's about faith. So if you get distracted, you're like, what do they need to know? They need to know the grace of God, faith in Christ. Look at this next verse, write it down, Acts 4.12. Or, yeah, 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And the context is Jesus. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. No other name. Next verse. Again, this is just to have in your tool belt, so that way when you visit with people, you're like, I have biblical authority to stand upon. I'm a little bit nervous, a little trepidatious. How do I share? What, what, kind of, what kind of confidence do I have to share this? Next one. This is the end of Paul's first recorded sermon in Acts 13. He says, let it be known to you, brothers, that through him, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes or faith is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. It's not Jesus plus, it's just Jesus in faith in him. Last one. Again, I'm not just giving you these because for fun. I want you to have these so that, that, that you have what you need. Next one is, is, is what we just read, Acts 15, 11. It's what Peter said. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they also were. And take, take even just those five passages and have them with you in your phone or in your Bible. And, and when you are intentional over the course of 2022 because you're wanting to hopefully get to that point of having a gospel conversation, and share this. You'll have it available. You'll have it ready to go. So you say, okay, well, this is great. This is interesting. What do we do with this? There's three things that I want us to do. The first one is assurance. And what do you mean by assurance? Or what do I mean by assurance? I don't want to make assumptions. I've, I want to be very careful of that. Some of you have been a part of this ministry since I've been here just about every week. But the last thing I want to do is make an assumption that you are in Christ. I don't know so you personally, do you believe in Jesus? Do you, right where you sit, or if you're watching, this is the thing that they got literally, literally out of their seats from Antioch to go all the way to Jerusalem. They didn't just hop on a bus or get in the car. Like this was a this was a thing. Salvation is at stake, the discussion of it. Do you believe in Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus? Am I saved? Have you placed your faith in Him alone? No Jesus plus. Do you have that assurance? Could you walk away, you get hit by a Mack truck, you're sitting there and I come up, and I'm like, do you know Jesus? Is it, I know Him, and I'll see Him soon, or is it, I have no idea. And then the next one is this, forgiveness. Forgiveness. This week, as I prepared this message, I had to pray personally for forgiveness that I get distracted from the main thing. Do you need to pray that in just a moment? To say, God, forgive me that sometimes what I do is I get distracted from the main thing being Jesus and I want the person to get a little cleaned up. Maybe I want their politics to look a little certain way. No, 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 no. What they need is Jesus and let Jesus change them from the inside out. You're not going to change them, but Jesus can so God, forgive me for getting distracted. The third thing is commit. I'm asking that you would commit. 
commit to getting back to the primary, the grace of God through faith in Jesus alone. Let this be the heart of your message to your fan, friend, family, coworker, the person you live, work, and play with. Another way to put it is this. The heart of this message, the heart of our message as we go out, is that faith in Jesus and His resurrection. His resurrection, the cross is absolutely central, but without the resurrection, the cross is just a guy dying on a cross. The resurrection, faith in Jesus and His resurrection and the grace of God, let that be the heart of your message. Everything else becomes a distraction. Just don't allow yourself to get distracted of, man, I want to talk to you about Jesus, faith in Him. He's alive. Demonstrates His victory over death and sin. And it's impossible because of grace, the grace of God. Come back to this again and again and again. I remember when I first moved here, I asked a guy who was planting a church in Franklin, and I said, in this area, kind of in the Bible Belt, what are more people needing to kind of be presented with? And he said, as much as people have grown up in church, they need more understanding the grace of God, hearing about the grace of God, because still people think they need Jesus plus something. They need to know the grace of God. Do you know the grace of God personally? And so, if you would, we're going to sing. And I didn't even know that this is a song we were going to sing, and I got so excited when I found out it was. This is just the way that God works. We're singing Just As I Am, the Billy Graham favorite. And I was like, I even almost asked if we could sing this one, but I didn't want to distract them to be like, you got to change everything. But that's what I wanted us to sing this morning because I want you for yourself to go, people need to come just as they are, just as I am. They need to come to Jesus. The same for you here this morning. I want you to come to Jesus just as you are. And so for these first First two verses that we're going to sing, and you know just as I am if you've grown up in church, they're pretty short. For these first two verses, what I'm asking you to do is to pray specifically over those three things. Do you have an assurance that you are in Christ? And why do you know that? Do you need to ask for forgiveness of getting distracted? And will you commit to making Jesus the main thing in those conversations? For the first two verses, that we're going to, that's what we're going to do. And then... I'm going to come back up and it's going to be time for us to present our three names to the Lord over the course of 2022. So if you don't have those three names, use this time. Get some piece of paper. I want you guys to all be a part of this. We've been prepping for this all the month of January. This is our heart and our aims, desires. We go into 2022. We've got to engage more people with the gospel of Jesus. If you only have one name, that's fine. If you have five names, fantastic. doesn't... What, what names do you have on your heart and your mind that you have identified? Write them down, because we're going to present those to the Lord. So they're going to sing these first two songs. You can stay seated, because you may be writing. You may want to sing along with them. But, but right now, as they sing, man, either write those names down or prepare and, and pray, God, forgive me, and I'm committing to you to make Jesus the main thing. Take a few moments for these next two verses, and I'll be back. Thank you.